Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone guys welcome back to the twilight zone series uh, this is episode 13 the four of us are dying thanks again for tuning in to the tragedy of cinema i'm your host jimbo and once again i'm joined by 80z good afternoon everybody or evening or morning wherever you're located in the world yeah 80z's works the second shift so he just woke up so he's over there pumping coffee in his veins right now as we speak so that is Eric, correct let's go ahead and take it away all right, this is uh, Twilight Zone, episode number 13, season one. Uh, the title of the episode is The Four of Us Are Dying. It's uh, directed by John Brom, and it was written by, of course, Rod Serling. And uh, the, it's based on a, actually, I think a second writing credit is uh, George Clayton Johnson, and it's based on a short story that was uh, written by him. Uh, the episode aired... On January 1st, New Year's Day, 1960. And go ahead and take it away, Jimbo, uh, with the cast. You know what You know what always amazed me about the Twilight Zone is these were coming out every week. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. we've seen the one last, last, last week was on Christmas Day. This one was on uh, New, Year's, you know, New Year's Day. And then the, ne- the next couple, are all, they're all just one week away. So very well done, very well done in a short amount of time, which is very impressive. Very impressive. All right, so now we are going to the cast. Um, Harry Towns, he plays Arch Hammer. A uh, little no fun fact about Arch, he, uh, he was an ordained Episcopal priest in Huntsville, Alabama, and he lived and died both in, in, in Alabama. Uh, Ross Martin uh, played Johnny Foster. Philip Pine as Virgil Sterig. Don Gordon as Andy Marshak. 
Um, Andy or Dom was famous for uh, the movie Bullet in 1968, as well as The Towering Inferno in 1974. Peter Bracco as Mr. Marshak. Now, he has been in a lot of stuff, too. He's a great actor. Um, you may remember him in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a great movie. He played Colonel Madison. He was in Spartacus as Raymond or Ramon. Uh, he was in Throw Mama from the Train. He played the old man in the hospital. But this guy has so many credits. I could be here all day listing everything that he was in. Uh, but I loved him. Uh, Milton Fromm uh, played the detective. And Beverly Garland was Maggie. Um, she was in a lot of B uh, sci-fi and horror movies as well as television shows. But some of her credits is It Conquered the World, Swamp Women, and The Alligator People. Um, so... We're going to go ahead and tell you about the synopsis of this. And this is one of those episodes where no matter what I tried to uh, write or come up with for the synopsis that I wanted to give, I just couldn't do it as well as Rod Sterling. So I'm going to read the actual narration from the opening of this uh, movie, or sorry, TV show, um, because everything I came up with just didn't kind of do the justice that I wanted it to do. So here it is. His name is Arch Hammer. He's 36 years old. He's been a salesman, a dispatcher, a truck driver, a con man, a bookie, and a part-time bartender. This is a cheap man, a nickel and dime man, with a cheapness that goes past the suit and the shirt. A cheapness of mind, a cheapness of taste, a tawdry little shine on the seat of his conscience, and a dark squint, or a darkroom squint at a world whose sunlight has never gotten through to him. But Mr. Hammer has a talent, discovered at a very early age. This much he does have. He can make his face change. He can twitch a muscle, move a jaw, concentrate on the cast of his eyes, and he can change his face. He can change it into anything that he wants. Mr. Archie Hammer, jack of all trades, has just checked in at a 380 at night with two bags, some newspaper clippings, a, mo a most odd talent, and a master plan to destroy some lives. So, Eric, let's go ahead and start talking about this episode. All right, three eighty a night to stay in a hotel room—that's not bad. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, where where is the time gone? <laughs> exactly. So uh, we open the episode, and Arch is on the—he's on the uh, street, and he's walking. Uh, a lot of signs in the background. We uh, we see him enter uh, a hotel room, and he signs his name into the to the guest book and the narration that J Jimbo just uh, gave us he, that is obviously playing in the black background of the very beginning of the episode <clears throat> well, we realize very early on that arch has this talent and rod serling tells us that he has this talent that he can make he can change his face and as we come into the hotel room like the bellhop drops off his um you know his bags and he gets settled in his room and then the next scene we see him shaving in front of the mirror and this is the, the first time that we really discover or realize that he has this talent. So as we're learning this, you know, the camera sort of pans away from the mirror. And then when it comes back, Arch has changed his face um, um, to his whatever his next victim is, I guess. Really, I guess we could say it that way because <laughs> yeah, he just, um, I don't know what his bent is, but he just has this. I don't even really know how to describe it. I, I guess disdain or anger inside of him or whatever it is, but something drives him to to want to uh, change his face and uh, really uh, mess up people's lives, really. He really wants to insert himself into people's lives and 
yeah, but I don't, around you, with him. I don't. I don't know if you noticed this, but all the pictures that are all the faces that he had, he opened that thing on the bed, his duffel right. bag or suitcase or whatever, and he had all those those four pictures, which I think were missing persons pictures because yeah. as we go throughout this episode, you'll notice you know every everybody everywhere that he shows up, everyone thinks that he is dead already. And I think that's that's a play because he's. I, th- I don't know if he's tr- since the, he is a con man. I don't know if he's trying to get more money out of him. You know, like you know, he goes to the gangster here in a little bit. You know, what I mean, he says, "Hey, you owe me my cut," and all that. So I think I think what he does is he takes uh, the missing persons posters or whatever, and he he cons them to get more money. I think that's the whole premise of what he does. Yeah, uh, or in the in the case of um, uh, what's the what's the lady's name? I forget her character's name in the uh, Maggie. Uh, Maggie. Maggie. He he really uh, wants to insert himself into her life to maybe to get love because he makes a comment at the end. You know why not me? Why couldn't I have a woman like that or something to that effect? So he really just inserts himself into people's lives to maybe try to improve his life or make himself feel better or to con people like Jimbo said out of money etc etc but he really wrecks their lives and he has really no regard for them at all in the process but anyway back to the episode the as we move along Arch uh, leaves the hotel room and he's strolling down the the sidewalk and he's well let me back up a little bit because he does uh, as Jimbo referenced earlier he sees all these pictures on the bed and then basically he selects the person that he wants to become, changes his face, and then uh, goes to seek out to find that person. So the first place, as we fast forward back, we, he enters the bar uh, or a nightclub uh, or whatever, and he meets Maggie, and Maggie's behind the, um, the piano, and she's playing uh, the piano, and uh, he becomes... Uh, what was his first victim's name again? I forget now. Johnny Foster. Johnny Foster. Johnny. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and Johnny was a, a musician uh, who had died. What was it, Jimbo? He he died a train wreck. Was that it or something? Oh, they. Yeah, or he um, pretends to be something like that. I think he was in a. I think Johnny was in a train wreck, and he comes face to face with Maggie after uh, you know she's you know, playing the at the piano bar. And she's playing. She finishes her set. She goes to sit down. Johnny walks in, and she is just completely stunned because she thinks Johnny is dead. And then they have a, a conversation together, and um, you know he's really just laying it on thick. And you know he's <laughs> telling her he wants to run away with her, and they're going to have this awesome life together now. And then he sort of explains because she, of course, she's going to have questions like what happened. And he says uh, they got the wrong guy. They even got the wrong dental records, you know, sort of explaining that, trying to explain away why he was there and that, you know, she's not seeing a ghost and it's really him. Go ahead, Jimbo. Right, right. But when the thing he tells her, he's like, look, we're going tonight. He's like, you got time for six sets, which basically means six songs or whatever. He's like, then we're leaving. He's like, you got to be at the bus station or train station at this time. He's like, cause we're getting out here. It's going to be me and you. We're going to run away. I think he said, what to Chicago? I think is what he says. You know, we're going to start a new life. We're going to get married, you know? And she's like, Johnny, yeah, I'll go. I'll be there. Blah, blah, blah. So he, he, he starts to walk out of the thing. And one of the musicians sees him and he's like, Johnny, Johnny. And he just walks out the door and starts running. And uh, so the guy runs out. He's like, Johnny, Johnny. Well, by this time, uh, he's like, uh, goes to what I think light a cigarette or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's, let me get a light. Let me get a light. And he turns around, and the face has changed again. 
Yeah. He's like, can I, can I help you? He's like, I don't know who you are. He's like, but I'll take the light. You know what I mean? So, so he's like, Oh, I, I, I thought you were somebody else. Somebody that was just in the, in, in the bar or whatever. And I thought that yeah, was really he, cool that just by that, he already changed his face to get away. You know what I mean? Okay. I think when we left off, we were talking about the, um, the, the scene we, we had just covered the, let me go back and, uh, start over. We were talking about, um, the fact that there was uh, some idea that um, one person was going to play all four parts in this particular episode, and a uh, little trivia: though Hammer, Foster, and Sterig and Marshak had been played to plan to be performed by one sole actor using different makeup, the production crew timed uh, the planned scene and noted his time was wearing of wearing the makeup would exceed that of him in front of the camera, so the four actors were used. So we were just discussing a little bit before we had a little technical difficulty. We were discussing about how uh, instead of using uh, one actor made up in four different scenes or four different characters, four actors were actually used because of time and, and money costs. So go ahead, Jimbo. Well, that well that's what they said right there. They just said in, in that statement, they said, hey, we're going to be doing this for, let's say, even if we only do this for 10 minutes, he's only going to be on the screen for 30 seconds. So, therefore, it's not worth the time to this when you just get somebody in the shadows to jump in and take his yep. place. So, they just went ahead and went with four actors, which is probably a smart move on their part. So, let's carry so, on. Uh, the next uh, scene we come to is uh, we come to um, the scene where um, Arch Hammer decides he's going to change his... Uh, He's going to change his face into, uh, really, I guess he was a, like a Chicago Al Capone type gangster guy. And uh, it was actually, uh, I think his name was Verge uh, Sterig. And he was going to, I think Verge or Virgil, I'm not sure how, if it was Verge or Virgil in the in the episode, but um, it's Virgil. Virgil. Yeah. And he's left for dead, I guess, in the river, though we come to find out. And he goes and meets with like the uh, the boss of uh, you know the gang and he tells him he wants his cut of the money because basically the the gangster guys left him for dead in the in the river and so he goes to meet with I guess um, uh, what was the gangster guys uh, name Penel or Penel Penel I think so and he goes and meets Penel in his like apartment or whatever and you know he's confronting Penel that they left him for dead and uh, that you know, and he's all uh, contrite. He's like, "Oh no, no, we're, we're, we were gonna, we were gonna pay you your cut." And, and you know, there's a lot of confusion on Pendle's part because he he, he thinks that uh, Virgil is dead, and he can't believe he's back. He's like, like he's seen a ghost. And so basically, uh, Virgil strong arms him and basically you know gets this extorts this money out of him. And uh, then this is where the, the scene starts to get good. When he, when he leaves the apartment, um, two of uh, Pennell's henchmen sort of greet him at the door. And, and uh, Virgil runs down the street. Or, you know, he, next we see him like in an alleyway after the, uh, the apartment scene. Right, but you got to re- right, remember, I thought it was really cool that when he walks into the uh, walks into the the room, busts into the room where the gangster is, the guy stands up and basically, you know, his t smashes his TV in shock and scared because he's like, this guy's yeah, supposed yeah. to be dead. And you know, this is where he's strong arms. He's like, hey, he's like, you were I was supposed to get twenty percent of the cut, 
He's like, but no, you put me face down in a river. He's like, I'm here to collect my cut. He's like, I got the money. I got the money. He's like, let me just write you. He's like, no, no. He's like, it's over here in the drawer. He's like, you just stay right there. You know, I'll go get it. And basically, he takes everything. He takes all the money now. And so he puts it. He's like, oh, by the way, he's like, not only is this mine, he's like, now you're going to pay me interest. So he's actually extorting for more money than what he had. And I think right here will be the great opportunity to throw in our first contest word. Um, we are running a new contest. You, hopefully you saw the uh, promo, promo that I just put out. Uh, but I think the one word that we're going to put out for the first one, and the word will be faces. I think that would be an appropriate word for this episode and to for the first word. Uh, so faces, please t- uh, email faces to the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com for your chance to win the Tragedy of Cinema coffee mug, uh, which will be drawn on October 31st. Remember, you can enter one, uh, one time per episode. Uh, just send your name and the word faces to the email. So, Eric, let's go ahead. So he's running down the alleyway, and the two right, henchmen are chasing him. Right, the two are chasing him down the dark alleyway, and they got him cornered. They got him cornered uh, up against, like, a, a brick wall of a building or whatever, and he's really nervous. He's, oh, i got to change my face I gotta change my face. I gotta get out of here. And he sees a poster of what looks like a boxer, an old boxer poster on the the wall of the building. He's like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta change my face. And so that's what he does. That's Arch Hammer's, uh, you know, unique, distinct talent. Is he changes his face into the boxer whose name is Andy Marshak. And so he, yeah, the henchmen are running. They come down the alleyway. They got their guns drawn and. And he changes his face, and they encounter him, and they're just confused. They don't know what just happened. They were chasing this guy, and now, all of a sudden, there's a totally different person standing in front of him, and they go, oh, well, sorry, we thought you were someone else or something like that. That's what they say. Um, uh, they don't really understand what happens. And then, um, you know, uh, Arch sort of laughs to himself, or I guess he's Andy Marshak at this point. He sort of laughs and chuckles to himself like he can't believe that he can get away with this kind of stuff and then later as we progress along the scene he comes out of the to the the out of the alleyway and he comes to like a newspaper stand now this particular actor that you he stands out and i can't remember his name jimbo i know you mentioned him in the cast but go go ahead uh he's he's peter peter brock peter brock and he is awesome this is where i think the episode really starts to get good um because what was it peter brockman uh, he plays Brocco. Uh, Brocco, yeah, Brocco. Uh, so Andy Marshak comes around the corner. He lights a cigarette. He encounters Peter Brocco um, at his newspaper stand, and he comes up to him. And Brocco says to him, "Andy, Andy," and he's who? And through the through the the course of this conversation, we realize that this is Andy Marshak's father. And he doesn't, of course, Arch doesn't realize that he has changed himself into the likeness of someone who has now encountered his father. And he, of course, he's confused. He's like, what's the matter with you, old man? And, you know, uh, Andy Marshak's father, I mean, he just starts ripping him. Right. You remember this part? And he's like, I don't I don't know. Well, I wrote a question down here. Um I asked the question, what could have Andy Marshak done that caused his own father to say, I hate your guts? And I, it doesn't really it doesn't really say, doesn't say but something? I was just wondering because, I mean, obviously there's major disdain 
uh, for Andy's Andy's father hates his own son and like he's just going off like you left a, your your mother is in tears you left a, a nice woman you've done all these horrible things but we don't, it doesn't really go into great detail on what he did but uh, I just thought that was an interesting but a, a well played part go ahead Jimbo right but I you know if you if you notice that. Um poster where he's i think didn't it say like world-renowned boxer or something like that okay. i think it says so maybe the price of fame got to him where he just up and left his family you know forgot where he came from because if you if you notice where they're at the alley and everything it's kind of like a right. rundown place it's not like the west side of you know it's not like moving on up like the jeffersons it's it's kind of you know slummy area um and you can tell by just the boarded up you know because he goes down that alley and he tries to get in all those doors and they're all locked boarded up and all that so I'm thinking maybe the price of fame got to his head. Maybe he was traveling around, making money, winning boxing matches, uh, and I, maybe the price of fame overtook him. You know where he became bigger. Yeah, it definitely is implied that maybe he ran out on his wife or left his young child or, or hurt people along the way. So yeah, we kind of gather uh, little bits and pieces from that. What, what we just uh, what you just said, but they they have this exchange and he. You know, Andy's father is telling him he broke his mother's heart, and we go on and on. And then um, they kind of have a struggle, and Andy's is like, let me go, let me go. You know, and he's pulling away from his father, and he, eventually he pushes the old man down kind of on the sidewalk and, and runs away. And, um, you know, uh, then we progress on actually to the next scene, and Arch... Uh, well, he's still Andy Marshak. He's still the Andy Marshak character. It does get kind of difficult to try to explain this as you follow along because there are so many characters <laughs> in this particular episode. But he's still Andy, but he returns back to the original hotel room that Arch checked in at the beginning of the episode. And then some, he hears a knock on the door, and um, it's a detective. It doesn't really, I don't think, it doesn't give us a name of the detective in the description of the, the character's. Um, but uh, the detective comes in and obviously the detective has caught up with Arch Hammer, uh, you know, the original character and he's wanting to take him in to haul him into jail basically. But he's, you know, Arch is a slippery one because he can obviously change his face, but they have an exchange in the doorway and then the detective tells, uh, Arch to go and get his, uh, coat and hat. And, um, so Arch does. And he goes in the other room, and it kind of makes you think in this scene that he's going to change into someone else again and try to get away at this point. But he doesn't because he goes into like a separate room to get his coat and hat, and, and they really focus in on the, him putting that on. And you're expecting him to turn around and be someone else. But um, and so the detective, go ahead. Right, but 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 at this point, when he came back, um, you know, I think when he walked in, he was the. Um he was the boxer, but I think doesn't he go back? Yeah, to he does. Hammer, he, he goes. He goes back because because I was going to say because right because after he gets his coat and everything, you're like, oh, he's going to change into somebody because I I don't know if he the detective knows that he can change his face. I don't know, but I think gathering, you know, I think they've been telling him for uh, chasing right. him for a while, and and it's a very interesting scene. I, this part coming up is one of my favorite parts of yeah. this whole episode. Is the, the, the so he gets his hat and coat. And the detective, they're like, let's go. You know, they're going to take him down to the station, whatever they're going to do. And, you know, and they get, they get to the, the, the door, the revolving yep. door, right? And so 
Arch goes through first, and then the detective comes behind him. Well, Arch stays in, and he goes back around, and the detective jumps back in real quick after him. And when it comes back around, now he has changed his face yep, back, back to, to the box. Yep, back to Andy Marshak, yep. And, and, and the, the detective comes out, he's like, hey, did you see a guy running past I know, past that, was, that was so <laughs> ridiculous, you know, he I thought, yeah. to himself after he left. <laughs> like, how would you not know that that was the same guy that you just went into the... The turnstile uh, door with or whatever, yeah, that, that was kind of kind of funny. I know, I loved it, loved it. So to close the kind of to close out the scene, um, as he changes himself back into Andy Marshak, uh, he greets his uh, disgruntled father again on the sidewalk, and they're riding out in front of the hotel. But this time, his father has a gun, and um, so they're 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 talking. And uh, Marshak tries to tell him, hey, man, you got the wrong guy. Like, I'm not Andy Marshak. Right. And he tries to explain it. And he, he says, I'll show you. I'm, I'm being honest with you. Uh, and he tries to concentrate. And he tries to change his face again one last time to sort of prove to Andy Marshak's father that he's not really him. But uh, before he could do that... Um, the, the old man, Marshak's father, shoots him with the gun and then um, obviously he falls to the ground on the sidewalk. And then all the four faces, all the four characters sort of change uh, before our eyes as uh, this man, Arch Hammer, lays on the sidewalk and dies from his uh, gunshot wound. Right. And I, I, think, I think it caught up to him. I think that maybe he didn't know what face he was putting on when he was concentrating. I think it was just probably the one that he had just done, so it was probably still fresh in his mind that he could do to get escape. But the question that I have, since we're at the end of this episode, is do you remember when um, he runs into the alley and, you know, he's like, I got to concentrate. I got to concentrate, you know what I mean? And he's trying to close his eyes. You know, he's trying to think real hard of what to turn into, you know. And then he turns around and he sees that picture and then he concentrates and turns into him. Now the question I proposed to you. Now he was under he was being chased by mm-hmm. two henchmen, right? And he was he was in dire need to change his face. So what makes that any different? Because he would have less time going through that revolving door to change his face and concentrate than what he did in the alleyway. So I proposed <laughs> to you, Eric. Why did it go quicker this time than when he was being chased That's down the alley? That's a really great question. I don't know. Maybe just for the uh, the purposes of the episode to make it more dramatic, maybe. But yeah, as far as far the as time was getting slow, yeah, like I don't know, like sometimes it took him like five seconds to change, and other times it was harder for him to change. I don't know that that might have just been a continuancy thing. No, well, the what the one thing that 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 could happen could have happened, okay, is that when he did go get his hat and coat, he was already saying, okay, I got to come up with the face, I got to come up with the face, I got to go because he couldn't see any of the pictures on the bed, you know what I mean? So maybe he's just thinking in his mind back to that poster and he was already in the process of moving his jaw and everything to to change the face. So by the time that they got downstairs, it would already be, I mean, that's one way you could get around. That's that's Um, a pretty good explanation. Great episode. Um, I really like this episode. I'm not saying it's one of my favorites. But, you know, um, being an old school Batman fan, you know, Batman 66, there was a character on there called False Face where he would use all kinds of prosthetics and change his face just kind of like this. Um, so and, and, and who knows, maybe that's where the, the Batman came up with this by watching uh, some, one of this, uh, some sure. of this episode. You know what I mean? Um, but I thought this was a, a, a good episode. It kept my interest because you never knew what was going to happen. And just the whole uh, the father, you know, just. 
you don't know what went on there. Just the struggle that maybe who knows how long this guy's been gone. It could have been years. Um, that never really says, you know what I mean? So I think it's a good episode. Um, this is also among a handful of Twilight Zone episodes to exclude the series title in the closing narration. There's only like four or five more listed here, but we'll cover those when we get to them. And this is the first instance in where Philip Pine's character identity is unsurped. The second being the Outer Limits, the 100 Days of the Dragon from 1963. So, Eric, what did you think yeah, of this Yeah, I thought it was a, a good one. I definitely was captivated uh, towards the end, like I mentioned earlier, with uh, Marshak and his father. And that, that interaction, uh, that, was, that was some great stuff right there. Because it, it's the mystery of not knowing. I mean, you know, you, it's implied, like the things we talked about before. But I just thought that was that that was just a great piece in the in the middle towards actually toward the end of the episode. Uh, that was just some good stuff, right? And and something else that that my my brain was trying to uh, wrap around is he told that lady that she only had six sets to finish, six songs basically to do, or six sets, whatever. So I'm trying to line up the time timing. If he had time to go hunt, change his face, go back to the hotel, or go back to his hotel room, change his face to the gangster. Go find the, where the gangster was at. Do all that with the gangsters. Run away from the gangster henchmen. Go run into the guy's father. How long? How much longer was he going to have right. for the lady? Or at the train maybe station? he had no intention of going back at all. He just did it to mess with her. But then again, well, but then again, you know, he was like, you know, he he was wanting. You could tell he was always wanting to settle down. He was tired yeah. of being on the run. I think. I think he was looking for a way to escape all this. You know, the pressure and. Uh, the cops are chasing him and all this, you know, I think he was wanting just to find somebody to be and settle down so he could stop running. Yeah, that's a lot of questions opinion. you're left with at the end of this episode for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's yeah. what you do in the exactly. twilight zone. <laughs> so great episode. Another, another great episode. So, well, I think this uh, episode's coming to a close. Uh, don't forget. Uh, we gave the one word for this episode earlier in the episode. So, Hopefully you guys uh, email the answer with your name to the tragedy cinema uh, at gmail.com uh, for the drawing that will take place on October 31st, about eight o'clock. So with that being said, this episode is coming to a close and that's a wrap. Take it away, Eric. And cut. <laughs>